Well, this is the final week of our series that we've called What If, where we've been exploring the possibilities of a life that's really fully devoted to serving Jesus, our Savior. And we start in our youth with all these dreams, all these things that we think that we can accomplish, that we hope that we can accomplish, but it's unusual that as we grow older, our dreams seem to shrink. I mean, we start out and we want to change the world. We want to make a difference. We want our life to matter. We want to set the world on fire. But it seems as the years go by, we become a little more cynical. And we begin to think, well, what difference can one person really make? Can I really impact the world? I mean, who am I, really? But what if we could recapture that dream? What if we could, once again, begin to think, you know, I can make a difference. My life really can matter. I really can impact the world. What if we could recapture that? What if we could, once again, begin to understand that one person really can make a huge difference in the world? I think that all of us would want that. We want to, to once again, have that dream in our life? What if we could change the world? One of my all-time favorite stories about how significant one person's impact can be on the world uh, was in the 1930s. It was in North Carolina. And back at that time in Christianity, uh, preachers would travel all around the country and they would set up these huge tents and they would have tent revivals. I'm sure you've at least heard that expression before. And so one of the great evangelists of that time was a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham. Great name, right? Mordecai Ham. And so uh, he, he was there in North Carolina, and he was having a tent revival. And there was a couple of young guys, 16-year-olds, that were there that lived in Charlotte where the revival was being held. And uh, they were like most 16-year-old boys. They were sowing the wild oats. You know, they weren't really interested in God at all, but they happened to not have anything better to do that night. So they are like, hey, let's go into the tent. Let's hear what this wacko has to say. And so they made their way into the tent, but when they got inside the tent, it was packed. I mean, the tent was full. So they looked around, they didn't see anywhere that they could sit, kind of like this this morning. They walked in, <laughs> and they said, where are we going to sit? And so they, they, one of the guys turns to his and says, let's just get out of here. There's nowhere to sit. So at that moment, when they turn to walk out the door, an usher comes up to him and puts his big arms around him and says, hey, fellas, good to see you. Let me find a seat for you. So he walks them up about halfway up, and lo and behold, there's a couple of seats there. They have a seat. They listen to what uh, Mordecai Ham has to say. And one of these 16-year-old boys, that night, receives Jesus as his Savior and goes about his life. Now, I often think about that story from the perspective of the usher. There's one guy ushering what kind of an impact can you make ushering, really? Doing his job, just wanting to find these two young guys a seat. Do you know who one of those guys was? Billy Graham. <laughs> the guy who got saved is Billy Graham. Who went on to impact millions, if not possibly billions of people in in, in uh, how his ministry branched out all over the world. One little guy doing his job, 
played a role in the impacting of millions and millions of people. Now, that, that usher probably never realized what happened. I'm sure he went home to be with the Lord and never really understood the significance of finding two young men's seats. Billy Graham probably never knew his name. Oh, he knows who he is, but he never knew his name, I'm sure. And yet, here we sit, some 70 years later, knowing the impact that that one simple act, one person, impacting millions of people. I think God desires for us, every one of us, to be world changers. I think He desires that of us, to change the world. God has called His global church to make a global impact. It says in Matthew 28, it says this, commonly called the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is God's great commission to the global church to say, look, you need to go and make disciples. That's when he says, go and teach all nations. The word there is to make disciples. That's the task he's given to the church, the global church. Make a global impact. But he's also called the local church to make a communal impact. In other words, to make an impact in the community. Acts 1.8, Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples, says, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So pretty similar. He says, I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth with your impact. But notice where that started. It started in Jerusalem, in their community, where they lived. And God has called the local church, Princeton Bible Church or any other local church, to make an impact in their community. For people to understand that, that we are representatives of God, and, and not simply because that's what we tell them, but because of the way we do life. The way that our church operates. The impact that we make. We're to be a good citizen within the community. But it doesn't stop there. God has called every follower of Jesus to make a personal impact. He wants the global church to make a global impact. He wants the local church to make a communal impact. But He wants every follower of Jesus to make a personal impact impact in the lives of the people around them. He wants us to be world changers. But changing the world will never happen if we're not willing to reach out to the person who's right next to us. Sometimes the church gets so focused on, we've got we to gotta reach the world, we've got to reach the world, we've got to reach the world, we forget, oh, God wants me to reach the person right next to me, the person in the cubicle next to mine. The person that lives next to me in the neighborhood. The person that sleeps next to me in the bed. God desires for us to reach the people that are in our life. He wants us to do that. So the question becomes, how? How do we go about that? Let's look at a story in the book of Acts. 
about a couple of guys who were world changers. We'll take a look at what they did, and then we'll talk about some things that we can do in our own life that are going to enable us to be more effective in changing our world. We're going to look at Acts 17. Acts 17, we'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed, this is about Paul and Silas, by the way, that's the they there. Now when they had passed from Amphilius to Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul was, as his manner was, went in unto them, for three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Let's stop there for a second. Paul had a pretty typical method that he went about when he would go on these missionary journeys. That's what Paul did. He, he was sent out by the church to go to these different Gentile cities and to evangelize them and to share the gospel with them. But he had a method that he followed. And, and what he would do is he would come into these cities and he would first, if there was one, find a synagogue or a gathering where the Jewish people would meet. And that's where he would start. That's where he would start his evangelism efforts. Now he did that for a couple of reasons. The first one is common ground. If he found a group of Jewish people, he was a, Jew, a converted Jew himself, and he knew that if he came to these people, at least there would be some common ground. They would have some concept of who the Messiah was, they would be expecting the Messiah, and so he could build on what was common in their life and begin to talk with them about Jesus, who was the Messiah. He would start with what they had in common. Listen to what I'm saying. He would start with what they had in common. So many times in our life, we run to what our differences are when we're talking with people about Jesus. Let's start with what we have in common, and let's build on that. That's where, Jesus, that's where Paul started when he started to talk with people about Jesus. But he did it for another reason, and I think this is the more significant of the two reasons. He did it because he had a burden. When he came into a city, he would go search out a synagogue, or a gathering of Jewish people because he had a burden for this people group. He was burdened in his heart that they would come to know Jesus as Savior. Paul, as I said, was a converted Jew himself, and so his heart went out to them. He wanted them to know what he had found. He writes about this in Romans chapter 9 and 10. Unbelievable chapters. I encourage you to read those. He says, My heart's desire is to see the Jewish people converted. That's, that's what he wants. In fact, he, he goes so far, he says, I wish that I myself was accursed so that the Jewish people could come to faith. I, I would be separated from, from God forever if the Jewish people would come to know Jesus as Savior. That's his burden. That's his heart. That's, that's a Jesus heart. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus looked down at us and he said, they're in trouble. They need to be, they need to be saved. And he said, I'll become accursed for them so that they can know Jesus. And Paul looks at the Jewish people and he said, I would that I was accursed so that they could be saved. That's a Jesus heart. It's a burdened heart. He comes to these Jewish people with that building on the common ground, with a burden to see them come to Christ. And it said in the passage that he was there and he, and he reasoned with them for three Sabbath days. So he's there talking with them 
for three weeks about Jesus. He's building a relationship with them. He stays for a while. He builds that relationship. He talks with them. He dialogues with them. He reasons with them, the passage says. All in hopes that they would come to faith. Verse 3, let's continue reading. It says, Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. What was his message? It was the gospel. Gospel meaning good news of Jesus. He comes to them and he says, Jesus was the Messiah. And he died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. That's his message. He's talking with them about the gospel. He wants them to understand that. Jesus Christ was who they were looking for. Who they were waiting for. And he brings this message and he presents it to them with great boldness. I want to look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians. And remember, this is, this is happening in Thessalonica, the city of Thessalonica. And Paul wrote a couple of letters to the church at Thessalonica. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2, the second part of that verse, he says this, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God, with much contention. So he comes into this place and he proclaims the gospel with great boldness. And there's contention. They go back and forth. There's a dialogue that's taking place. And they argue. They contend with one another. But he remains bold in what he has to say. Now when we think of boldness, especially as it relates to evangelism, we think of meanness. <laughs> right? Loudness. He who is most bold is most loud. That's not boldness. Some of the most bold people that I know are some of the most meek and mild-mannered people in the world. Boldness is not arrogance. Boldness is not volume. Boldness is a steadfastness, a confidence that this is the truth, this is what I hold to, and I'm going to proclaim that and not back away from what I hold to be true. That's the presentation that Paul brings with him when he brings the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's contention, but he stays too his message. Let's keep reading. Verse 4. And some of them believed and consorted, excuse me, consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. So here's the result of Paul's ministry. He comes and he follows his method. He proclaims his message. And there's a multitude that believes in Jesus. Now he says that there was just a few Jews that believed. He's in the synagogue, he's proclaiming the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and a few of the Jews say, hey, I believe what you're saying. But maybe that group that he's talking with outside of the synagogue during the rest of the week, it says that there was a great multitude of Greeks, these Gentiles, that heard what Paul had to say, and they believe the gospel message. And he also reaches this group of prominent women within the city. 
He says these chief women, these prominent women, they also believed what Paul had to say. Now listen to that. Don't just read that and blow by it. I want you to understand this. Lives, eternities are being changed. Paul comes in, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. People who receive that message, they believe on Jesus, and as a result of that, lives and eternities are changed. Again, don't, don't just blow that off. Lives are being changed as a result of the message that Paul brings to them. But with all that, let's look at verse 5. But the Jews which believed not, okay, so there was a group that didn't believe, moved with envy and took unto them, I love the way the King James says this, certain lewd fellows of a baser sort. I love that sentence. I just love that. Certain lewd fellows of a baser sort. These are bad guys, in other words. These aren't guys that you'd have over to your house for dinner. They're lewd and of a baser sort. And they gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason. This is where Paul and Silas were staying. They were staying at the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So these Jews who didn't believe what Paul had to say get some hired guns, some mercenaries to cause an uproar in the city and to bring Paul and Silas and whoever's believed into uh, the, the synagogue so that they can be tried and to the city officials to be tried because they're causing problems. Here's what I want you to understand. When you start to change the world, not everybody's going to like that. So you might as well just kind of put that notion out, out of your head. You're not going to proclaim something that's true and right and has the ability to transform lives and eternities and everybody's just going to come and give you a hug. It's not going to happen. Some people aren't going to like that very much at all. And that's the case here. Paul's message was divisive. It caused an uproar in the city. We're not going to change the world and have everything go great as far as getting along with people. People don't like to change. And when change starts to happen around them, they start to have an issue with that. So we have to know that. Not everybody's going to like what we have to say. Let's keep reading. And when they found them not, so Paul and Silas aren't there, they had fled. They drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world, this is it, who have turned the world upside down, are come hither also, whom Jason has received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. These guys were world changers. They come and they say, we've heard about these guys. They've been turning the world upside down all over the place. And now they're here, and they're turning our world upside down. And they're spreading these things, and they're talking about something that goes contrary to Caesar. They're talking about another king named Jesus. World changers. I think God desires for us to be world changers. I think God desires for us to turn the world upside down. 
I think he wants us to do that work. I believe he wants us to have that type of an impact in our world. That's where he wants us to live. Not to go with the flow, but to bring about change. To change our world. But how do we do that? How do we get to there? How, how do we get to that point in our life where we're a world changer? Let me give you three things to consider this morning about your life. I think changing the world, first of all, involves me changing my priorities. If I'm going to change the world, I've got to change my priorities. Did you notice as we read the passage in Acts, the last little phrase that they make there is that they're talking about another king, one Jesus. Is Jesus king of your life? I didn't say, is Jesus your savior? That's a different issue. Is Jesus the king of your life? Is he the one that you submit to? Is he the priority of your life? Now I know what we can say, oh yeah, God's my priority. But then when we examine our life and we start to look at the details of our life, do those things back up what my mouth says? If he's the priority of my life, is he the priority of my time? Is he the priority of my money? Is he the priority of my gifts and abilities? Is he my king? If he's my king, then my ultimate responsibility in life is to fulfill the mission that he has for me, correct? If I'm submitting to him as my king, then what I'm going to do in my life is live out the mission that he has for me. And I think that that mission is not dissimilar from the mission that he had for Paul and Silas. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that every one of us is going to become a traveling missionary. We're not going to be Mordecai Ham, setting up tents all over the nation, having tent revivals. Not saying that at all. But I'm talking about you making Jesus a priority in your life. Whatever you do. If you're in the IT field. If you're a salesman. If you're in the finance arena. If you're a student. If you're a stay-at-home mom. Wherever you find yourself, is Jesus king in that world? Or is he reserved for Sunday from 10 to about 11.15? Is he king? Is he your priority? If I'm going to change the world, my life needs to reflect the fact that he is king of my life. I need to be a good news. My life needs to reflect the good news of Jesus before people are ever going to listen to what I have to say. The old phrase is so true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. My life has to reflect the gospel. My life has to be different in a good way before people are really going to pay attention to what I have to say. If I'm going to change the world, I've got to change my priorities and get Jesus involved in whatever I do and how I do business and how I go about my studies and how I live within my own home. He 
He's got to be my priority. Second thing, we need to change our heart. I need to change my priorities. But I also need to change my heart. If I could be very frank, we need a deeper burden for lost. We need to be burdened like Paul was burdened. Paul said, I, I, I wish I was cursed so that they could not come to know Jesus as Savior. We need that heart. I, I often have that heart. But we need that heart. We need that burden. We need that Jesus heart. We need to be asking God to give us that heart. So that as we look at the people that He brings into our life, we're burdened for them. We're concerned for them. We love them. We want them to know what we know. Not because we're better than them or we're arrogant or we think that we have all the answers. None of that. But simply because we long to see them know what we know to be true. We need that kind of heart. Every significant movement in the history of mankind believes with a burden or begins with a burden. That's where it starts. Someone gets burdened about something and they say, I've got to do something about this. And so they take action. We need that type of a burden. I need a changed heart. Change my priorities. Change my heart. Thirdly, change my mind. Change my mind. I think this relates to how boldly we declare the gospel. Again, boldness is not arrogance. It's not meanness. It's not loudness. But it is a steadfast mind. A strong mind. That says, I'm going to follow him no matter what happens. And I know how it is, guys. We, we come to church and we're here within the safe confines of the church. And we can talk about Jesus. And we can talk about how he's our savior. And when we walk out that door in the morning, morning when the alarm goes off and you head off to work or you go to whatever social circles that you're in throughout the day, it's a little tougher, isn't it, to be bold about Jesus. But we need to have that kind of a mind. We need to be steadfast in our mind. I know for me, when I go about my life, it's so easy for me to kind of just shrink back into my daily routine and get caught up in all the things of life and my issues and my problems and my concerns and the things that I've got to do and the places that I have to go. And if, if I'm not intentional about keeping people at the front of my mind, I can very easily begin to live in my little bubble. We need to keep this at the forefront of our mind. God has left us here for a reason. God has given us a mission. He wants us to take his good news to the world. But that begins with the person right next to me. The person who lives next to me. The person I work next to. Changing the world begins there. It also begins with a change in me. 
begins with a change in me. Setting my priorities. Asking God to give me that burden that I don't have. Asking Him to change my mind. God wants us to make a global impact. God desires for the church to make a communal impact. God desires for each and every one of us to make a personal impact. But I'll never do any of those things if I'm not reaching out to the person that's right next to me. Think back to the story I told you just a few moments ago. One person doing a seemingly normal task played a part in the impacting of millions of people. One person can make a huge impact. God desires for us to be world changers. I believe that with all my heart. He wants us to change the world. But that's going to necessitate me changing my priorities, changing my heart, changing my mind. You know, as we sit here as a body, and we hear about this grand mission that God has for us, it's so easy to just sit and go, well, you know, really, what can we do? <laughs> I mean, there are, what, 35 people here, maybe? 40, well, what can we do? Don't let that seep into your mind. Don't let that enter your mind. Think about what God did with 12 guys who were willing to lay it on the line for Him. We're here today as a result of what they did. Now think about their life. Here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The, the soldiers come. They're getting ready to take Him to crucify Him. What happens to the twelve? I mean, not bold. I mean, Peter whacked the guy's ear off, but then he ran later. <laughs> you find him later, cowering as he's questioned by a little girl about whether or not he's a disciple. No, 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 not me. And yet, that same group of, of guys, just a few days later, standing in the synagogues, boldly declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. What happened? Why the transformation? They began to understand where their source of power really came from. It wasn't about them. Being bold in our declaration of who Jesus is isn't about being an extrovert. Isn't being like Peter, bold and brash. It's about understanding that that power comes from that relationship with God. And then just giving your life to Him. Our challenge is to change our priorities, to change our heart, to change our mind. And as a result, change the world because we're reaching out to the person right next to us. We're going to weave this into the very fabric of who we are as a church. I told you a few weeks ago, we haven't done a very good job of this, but we are going to change that. And it's going to become part of who we are. 
We may sit and we may think, well, I'm not very good at that. Yeah, I'm with you. That's not the issue, though. The issue is our king has a mission for us, and we're going to do it. To the best of our ability. Here's our challenge today. In the back, there are these little cards. And on them, they say, each one, reach one. Here's what I want you to do. On this card, there's a blank. And it says, I'm praying for blank. I want you to take one of these. And I want you to write one person's name on it. Not two, not three, not five, one. One person's name on the card. And underneath that, it says this. I will intercede for them in prayer. So you're going to begin praying for that person. It also says, I will invest in them. So I'm going to make an investment in a relationship with this individual. That may mean spending time with them. That may mean buying them a book, giving them a CD. It might mean just having a conversation with them. But I'm going to take the time to invest in that individual. And then finally it says, I will invite them. Again, that could have multiple meanings. Maybe that means inviting them to church. Maybe it means inviting them to one of our uh, outreach events, our, our community projects. Maybe it involves inviting them to the Super Bowl party tonight. Maybe it in, involves inviting them to receive Jesus as Savior. But we're going to be intentional. And this is nothing more than a reminder. It's a prompter that says, this is important. This person is important. And I'm going to be faithful to intercede for them, to invest in that relationship, and to invite them. Now listen to me, listen to me very closely. Because when we begin to talk about things like this, it's very easy, especially if you're sitting here and maybe this is the first time you've heard something like this. I am not talking about building a relationship with someone for the sole purpose of evangelizing them. I'm not talking about manipulating them so that I can bang them with the gospel later. But I am talking about seriously investing in their life, building a relationship with them, getting to know them, growing to love them, getting a burden for them. And then maybe if God opens the door, taking advantage of that opportunity with boldness that he's given to me. That's what I'm talking about. Not into manipulating people. Here's what happens. Here's what happens in my life. The longer I'm a Christian the fewer unbelieving friends I have. The people I hang out with, the people I do life with, they're, they're Christians. The longer I'm a Christian, the more that's the case. And so I have to be intentional about building relationships in my life with those people who don't know Jesus, who aren't believers in Jesus. So I want to challenge you to pick up one of these cards at the back table and begin doing this. That one person, you say, but I don't, I, I don't, I'm with you. I'm that Christian person who doesn't have any friends that are outside of Christianity. Pray then that God will give you someone. That he would bring someone across your path that you can be an influencer of. But most likely, we've all got someone in our life that we can begin praying for that God would do this work in their life. I've shared this story, and I'll close with this. When I was in college, a couple of years ago, 
I became a believer in Jesus while I was uh, in college. It was, it was the summer before my junior year in college. And so that first year was kind of a discovery period. You know, I'm trying to figure things out. I don't know anything. And I, I, I remember I had some guys that kind of took me under their wing and they showed me the ropes. They discipled me, showed me how, how things from, from Scripture were supposed to be done. And that next year, my senior year, I became burdened for the people that I went to school with, especially my teammates, because I played basketball in college, and I was burdened for the people, the guys that I played basketball with. And so we had a small group of people that met on the campus that, that were followers of Jesus, and, and we made a prayer list. And we began to pray for those people who were our friends, that we were close to, that we loved, that we were burdened for. And the most amazing thing happened. We each put names on the list. And we, we would gather a couple times a week and we would pray through that list for those people. They started to come to faith in order that they were on the list. It was amazing. I never forgot that. Unbelievable. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen in every situation, in every circumstance, and that everybody that you pray for is, is going to come to faith. That certainly won't be the case. But that's not really our issue. That's between them and God, ultimately. Our task is to simply present the good news. The decision is ultimately theirs. And we're not going to convince them. We're not going to argue them into heaven. We're not going to do any of that. We're simply going to remain bold in our declaration of the good news of Jesus Christ. So I, I pray this morning that you will accept this challenge. I'm thrilled that we have as many people here as we do. I thought it was going to be like me and Laura. Laura, take the challenge. She'd give the announcements to me. I'd preach to her. It would be all good. So I'm thrilled that the weather got through early enough that most of you could be here. Most of the people that are really central to our church are here this morning. And I pray that you would accept this challenge along with me and begin to weave this into your life and as a, as a result, weave this into the very fabric of who our church is. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for the Lord Jesus. And we ask that you would uh, just burden our hearts, Lord. Change our minds, change our hearts, change our priorities. Lord, uh, lay that person upon our heart, that person that we... Um, need to invest in, that we need to be praying for, and that we need to invite, whether it's to a church or to a function or to receive Jesus as Savior. I pray this morning that we would take that challenge, that we would begin living out your mission. Wherever you have us in life, whether we're a commuter to the city, whether we work locally, whether we're a stay-at-home person, Lord, weave your way into every aspect of our life. Lord, we want to give you honor and glory. We want to make a, uh, an impact in this world. We desire to be world changers. And I pray this morning that you would begin uh, making that change uh, in us so that we can reach out and begin changing lives of the people who are right next to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, before I'm going to have Josh lead us in, in one more song. So if you grab your lyric sheets... He's going to lead us in the greatness of you.